I'm, I have a word that I want to just release. I was going to do this um, maybe in a different service, but I feel like it's for this, this moment. So exciting to, to see what God's doing across the country and in colleges, universities, and in churches. It's just it, the, the time is here. And uh, uh, can't, can't wait to uh, see the full impact of this. We're just in the beginning the, the small waves are just coming in. Wait till the big ones come. It's going to be quite spectacular. This is, um, none of it's by accident. This coming Friday, a movie's coming out about the Jesus people uh, revival in the 60s and 70s and uh, I guess 80s. That's, my parents had a, had a hippie church, a Jesus people church. My dad was a businessman. And uh, a bunch of hippies got saved and he was doing a Bible study. Thursday nights with 70, 80 hippies in our living room, and, and he, he called every Pentecostal church in Phoenix and said, can, can I bring 70 hippies to church on Sunday? And they, every pastor said, yes, if the men get their hair cut and the women all wear dresses. So we started a hippie church by accident, <laughs> and of course, that's why I have a PhD in psychology, because if you, if you grew up with hippies too, you, you'd need a PhD in psychology. <laughs> Um, yeah, my, my childhood prayer was, Jesus, don't make me marry a hippie. <laughs> and uh, so God sent a sweet Catholic girl that uh, had actually been to college, uh, to our hippie church. And uh, Mary and I fell in love right away. Um, but I want to share this word, the drought is over. The drought is over. Before I do, let me share something silly uh, because I'm old and I want to. <laughs> a Minnesota couple decided to go to Florida to, th- to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned to stay the same hotel where they had their honeymoon 25 years earlier. Because of their hectic schedules, it was difficult for the couple to coordinate their travel plans, so the husband left Minnesota and flew to F- Florida on Thursday while his wife planned to fly down on Friday. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in the room, so he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address and sent the email without realizing his error. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, an elderly widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a Baptist minister called home following a heart attack. The widow decided to check her email, expecting condolences, and other loving messages from her family and friends. But after reading the very first email, she screamed and fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife, subject, I just arrived today. I know you're surprised to hear from me, but they have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. Since I've just arrived, I thought I'd send you an email. Everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine. Oh, P.S. Sure is hot down here. Yeah. I apologize for any offense. In 1 Kings chapter 18, a whole country was brought back to God by one man's faith. 
I just want to remind you that God doesn't need everyone. He just needs one person. One person in a family can start a revival, can start a returning to God, can start a breakthrough. And Elijah had done that. He turned, he called down fire on a wet sacrifice and and then, you know, God demonstrated his power in such a great way. At the end of this, the Lord then is, the seasons are changing. And he said to King Ahab in verse 41, Go up, eat and drink, 1 Kings 18, 41. For there is the sound of the abundance of rain. The sound of the abundance of rain. So he said, I hear a thunderous rainstorm coming. I hear not just a nice Sunday refreshing day. I hear a great move of God coming. I hear a great move of God coming. And uh, there hadn't been rain. There had been a severe drought back there. You know, most of history, human history, was under the agrarian era. So where farming and people lived off of their farms or made money off of their farms. And then we went from the agrarian to the industrial to the technological. They call this now the information age. But back then, if it didn't rain, man, everything, you're in trouble. So it pointed people, it really drove people to God. And uh, so they, they, he said, this, this famine's over. This drought's over. And he said it because he heard something. He heard something that was unearthly. He heard something from a different world, a different realm, a different, a different dominion. And when he said it, he released it to be done. My first point is really simple. Prophecy is when you boldly declare the will of God to be done in earth. It is the saying something that has the inspiration of God on it. Whether it's quoting a scripture, an anointed prayer, a word of specific knowledge, as the Bible says, but but prophecy is releasing the will of God to be done. Just a couple of things. God did not think, let there be light, and there was light. God said. So the spiritual world affects the natural world by words. Words govern the kingdom of God. And words have authority in the life of the believer. So God can't do it until you say it. So if you want God to do it, you've got to say it. Or if you feel like God's going to do it, say it. The Bible does not say if you believe in your heart, you'll be saved. The Bible says you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. If you say what you believe, then there is a contract formed between you and God. And you enter into that covenant of salvation. So Elijah said it. I hear rain coming. I hear the greatest move of God in American history has begun. And uh, I'm very excited about it because I, I, you know, I had a vision, a prophetic word a few months ago. I said I saw five universities have a revival. Then it was 50, then 500, and 5,000. And the idea that I, the Lord showed me was it wouldn't be regional, it wouldn't be geographically centered. It would be across the whole country. Any place there's hunger, there'll be a revival. Any place there's a yes, there'll be an open heaven. So right here in your beautiful church in this region, there's already so much revival spirit happening. 
And so God's ready to do something powerful. In Ezekiel 37, this great chapter, God takes Ezekiel on a field trip. Now, how'd you like to go on this field trip? So he takes him on this field trip, and they, they go to a valley, and it was filled with bones. And then they circled down closer, and there was very many, and they were very dry. So he sees not just the, you know, kind of the overview. He sees the, the intense detail of, of tremendous suffering, tremendous loss, tremendous, you know, destruction. And the Lord says to him, but by the way, the Hebrew word for dry means to be disappointed, means to be broken. It means to be devastated. It really has an emotional context to it. Man, what a perfect description of this time in history because people are, people are fainting because they're so dry spiritually. They're, they're, they're exhausted. They're, their emotions are depleted. And people are just going through all kinds of unbelievable emotional weariness, things they've never faced before. The word dry means to be ashamed, confused, or disappointed. Tobe, T-O-B-E is how we spell in English, how we pronounce it. Tobe, to be, dry, to be ashamed, confused, or disappointed. So God came to people that were ashamed, disappointed, and confused and, and said, and God said to the prophet, can these bones, these dead bones live? These dry bones live. Because God was ready to do something. And, and so God's saying to the church in 2023, can America have a revival? Can your city have a revival? Can your family be saved? Can your lost, can your most dysfunctional family member become a radical Jesus believer? Do, do you have enough faith to start saying things that I can put my power on and release my will to be done? And so the, uh, Ezekiel answers, you know, politically correct, Lord, I don't know. You know. You know the answer, Lord. And the Lord said to him, verse 4, Ezekiel 37, 4, prophesy to these dry bones and say to them, hear the word of the Lord. So in this chapter, uh, ten times it says the Spirit of God was moving, and seven times it said there was prophecy. Wherever God's moving, the breath of God is speaking. So when the Holy Spirit's moving, God's addressing things. He's addressing dead things he wants to live. He's addressing broken things he wants to heal. He's addressing regions and cities and families and strongholds. He starts, he says, I, I want to put something in your mouth that releases my will to be done. So, so it's, it's so important because every time you speak, you're prophesying. But when you speak something that's originated from heaven, it has so much authority that the devil can't stop it. He can't, he can't stop it. In the New Testament, the Bible says the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. That, that idea, of course, the Roman unbelievable sword is a, a picture there. But, but the two-edged sword idea is not original to the New Testament. Psalm 149 says, let the high praises of God and a two-edged sword be in our mouth. And it talks then about the same thing. And in the New Testament, the word for two-edged sword is a compound Greek word, diastomos. Di means two. Stomos means mouths. And two-edged sword literally means a two-mouthed sword. And, uh, and a few years ago when I was reading it, I finally got it that every time God speaks to me by his word or by his spirit, one half of the blade is formed, but it's not a sword until I add my voice to his word. And what I say, what I hear, I'll see what I say. 
I'll see it if I say it. It's time to start prophesying revival. It's time to start prophesying breakthrough. Prophesying revival to the high school across the street. Prophesying revival to your neighborhood. Prophesying revival to the state of Texas. God is ready to do something. He's ready to do something now. And so the prophet said, I hear a sound not just of the drought ending, but the opposite happening. The great move of God. God's appointed church 11 32 to be a revival center to be a place a place where revivalists are raised up to be a firebrand to be a, a training center a mentoring center a place where the kingdom of God gives expression and people grow up into a mature faith and believe that they can make a difference in the earth amen I saw that I, I, I'm gonna have to say it because it keeps I keep saying it I saw Pastor Jamie I was uh, worshiping next to her and I had this uh, very unusual vision and I saw her, she was holding the severed head of Goliath. And I thought, that's kind of a gory, I'm worshiping you, Jesus. And the Lord said, tell her that she's been slaying giants in this season. And that people are going to rejoice at the victories you're winning. Because strong powers are being defeated all, all across this generation. And Pastor Jamie's a giant slayer, man. It's just uh, uh, very cool. So, sorry for the gross vision. It's time for rain. So I was in a, a Turlock in Northern California, I guess a Central Coast California town, in early November, and I got up to preach the Sunday night, and the Lord said, before you preach, prophesy it's going to rain. So I started prophesying, it's going to rain, and it just kind of took over the service. We started singing, it's going to rain. So I didn't know till later, it hadn't rained for a long time. I don't know, 100 days, whatever it was. And so in that whole area, they're really dependent. That's kind of the bread basket for America. They, they, all kinds of things happen in, in that central part of California. And uh, then I got the, the social pastor sent me a thing back. In January, and said, well, we've had this unusual thing, eight or nine or ten of these blankets of rain came. We've had the greatest rainfall in our history. No rain, the greatest rainfall in history. Now, what Cal but California, of course, doesn't do a lot of things right. So they, they literally wasted trillions of gallons of water because they haven't built a reservoir in 50 years. Uh, so... <laughs> It's like when God pours the Spirit out, if the church isn't ready, we waste it. And, uh, but anyways, my whole point was God can change things in a second. Ending droughts, the drought is over. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, Peter's preaching, and he's talking about what's happening in the life of these 120 disciples because there's attention drawn toward them because they're joyous, because they're speaking languages they, ne they never learned. And Peter said, these guys aren't drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. But this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. It will come to pass, says God, in the latter days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your, the first thing he says is your sons and daughters will prophesy. You can tell how spirit-filled you are by how much control the Holy Spirit has over your words. The first thing the Holy Spirit grabbed was the human tongue. And they started speaking in other tongues. Then they started prophesying heaven's will to be done. And the more spirit-filled we are, the more control heaven has over our vocabulary. 
You cannot be a strong Christian with a weak vocabulary. You cannot be a powerful history maker when your words don't match up with that. So God, God, the Holy Spirit touches our words so we declare things over our world that bring about, bring about God's will to be done. Amen? So God needs someone. Okay, the, the, the next part of this chapter, verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And he, so, so Ahab is not a godly king. And I just want to say this. God can move even when we have goofy politicians. Everybody's waiting for the perfect president. There's no such thing. And I'm, I'm with you about we want righteousness, we want other things, but never think that, that God needs that to move. You kidding me? Okay, okay. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, so Ahab's having a party, but Elijah's having a prayer meeting. And he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. So he gets into the prayer position. He gets into the birthing position. Now, here's my second point. There's two, I only have two points in my message today. The, if you don't learn to pray your prophecy, you're wasting a tool God gave you to bring about his will in your life. So what is he praying? He's praying for what he declared, what he saw God wanted to do. He's praying for God to do. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I give you, son Timothy, that you may do warfare according to the prophecies that have gone on before you. Paul said this, man, you're not using your prophecy. It's sitting on the shelf as a weapon that's not been used. Take, it, take that machine gun off the shelf and put it to work. Take that powerful spiritual tool and put it to work. When you put God's word into your vocabulary, you release God's will to be done. So God wants us. I, in, uh, 19 years ago, uh, this year, I was in Laguna Beach on vacation with my kids. Got very sick, was diagnosed at the hospital there and with a form of cancer. And the doctor was going through the, 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 uh, the negative parts of it because it was a difficult uh, situation. And he says, well, you know, you got like a 5% chance. And blah, blah, blah. He's, he's going on. I leaned across the table, and I could barely speak. And I said, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Well, that's Psalm 118, verse 17. And it just came out, uh, uh, came out of my spirit. Came out of my spirit like a weapon. I shall not die. And, and it, it stupefied me. He said, what? He said, excuse me? I said, I said again, I shall not die but live. And declare the word. Well, they found cancer six months later. They couldn't find it. Just like that. Now, here's my point. God always gives you an antidote for the enemy's assault against you. The antidote is going to be a word from him. His word is your weapon, and if you don't use your weapon, don't blame God when things aren't working, things aren't turning, things aren't breaking through. So his word is your weapon. His word is your tool. His word is your way to overcome what the enemy is doing. So Elijah's praying, God, I thank you for the rain. He's praying, he's declaring, he's interceding, he's fasting. When God gives you a word about your family being saved, then you pray it. Don't, I don't care if it's one time, one year, seven years, I don't care. Never give up on a word God's given you for your life, your family, your circumstance, your marriage, your health. 
your ministry, your business. Never let the devil. Never when David faced Goliath and Goliath had for 40 days, morning and afternoon, had challenged Israel. He had, he had this, this monstrous person between 7 and 11 feet tall. So he's not just tall, he's strong, he's coordinated, he's like supernaturally strong. He'd never lost a battle since his childhood. And every day for 40 days, he, he verbally challenged Israel. And for 40 days, Israel never answered back until a teenager heard him boasting. And the teenager said, who's going to shut up that, that goofy guy? And, and when David ran out to meet Goliath finally in battle... Goliath started cursing him by his Philistine gods, by Dagon and Baal and Ashtoreth and Beelzebub, these wooden and stone gods of the Philistines. And David said, you done yet? He, he wasn't cussing David. He was cursing David. He was assaulting his identity, just like the devil's assaulting the identity of this generation. And, and David said, you done, big boy? I got something to say. And David said, this is your last day. I'm going to kill you. I'm taking your big fat head off your shoulders. And when I'm done with you, I'm coming for the army behind you. That the whole world may know that the battle's not men's, it's the Lord's. And God did. God, David won with his words before he won with his sword. Before his slingshot, David won because he won. Never let the devil have the last word. Never let the devil tell you how something's going to end or be or last or continue on. Pray it until God does it. My oldest son, Matthew, he and his wife, Candace, are our executive pastors. They have four beautiful children, and uh, we are just so grateful for all God's done. But when, when Matthew was... 12, he started doing drugs. Our family had been through a tremendous trauma. And uh, back then, you know, our, you know, in 1995, we were building a 5,000, 4,800-seat auditorium. Our treasurer, church treasurer, a local businessman, embezzled $20 million, created a massive scandal, national scandal, 10 front-page stories, six lawsuits, 15 concurrent attorneys. The church was just, you know, really, really, the church grew from 5,000 to 100, 140 the wrong way. I became clinically depressed. I knew I was depressed because I was finishing my PhD in psychology. My son, though, 12 years old, already a star athlete, started, you know, doing drugs, self-medicating. And uh, by, by the time I was, you know, by the time I really caught on, maybe around 14, we started putting him, him into rehab, into therapy. Nothing works. As soon as he could, at 17 and a half or so, he moved out of the house. And he's now running the streets of Phoenix and... Drug dealers would drive past our house with guns out of their door so we could see them drive real slow right past the house because they thought he still lived there. I, I, I needed to put up a sign, my son doesn't live here anymore. Uh, police knocking on our door looking for him wanting to arrest him. So by the time he's 20, so this has been like eight years, by the time he's 20, my faith had been exhausted. I'm no longer praying for a history maker. I'm praying. So I'd lay in his bed where he used to sleep as a child. And I'd say, Jesus, don't let Matthew die tonight. That's it. And so I'm leaving. And I'm leaving his room covered in tears one night. Because, you know, after bad reports during the day. And, and I'm leaving the room. And Jesus meets me in the hallway. Watch out for the hallway. <laughs> I, I, I get rebuked in the hallway. And he said to this sentence to me, stop 
praying the problem. Start praying the promise. And it struck me like a lightning bolt. Boom. And I realized all I was doing was reminding God of what he already knew. Well, you know, God, God knows more about what's happening in his life than I do. So my, uh, my, my prayer life should not be tr- me trying to inform God of how bad things are. My prayer life should be the Holy Spirit speaking through me, change into the world that I'm praying about, dynamic transformational kingdom change. And so I ran in and told my wife, honey, we have to start praying the prophecies God gave us about our son since the day he was born. We have to change our vocabulary and stop saying he's an addict and he's in trouble and he's this, this, and that. And we, so so I, I started calling him every day. He's a history maker and a world shaker. My son's going to be a businessman, a pastor, a loving father and husband. He's going to be a, be a guy. All these things and some personal things. And, and so for eight years, I prayed nothing happened. Within eight weeks of doing that, my son was playing a university basketball somehow. And... Uh, he wanted to date one of the cheerleaders, and she said, I won't date you unless you come to my church. So praise God for all the pretty single women at Church 1132 <laughs> that tell any potential suitors, hey, man, if you want to date me, come to church, get saved, baptized, get the demons cast out of you, a pastor, <laughs> this, and then maybe. And uh, so he's, he's, he's in a, like a Wednesday night church service in the back row. And, and so have, have you ever come to church or brought someone to church that didn't want to be there? So he's, all, you know, he, by the time he's 18, he's already been in 10,000 services. You know, he's, a, he's a pastor's kid. So he's in the back row. He didn't want to be there. He hadn't been in church in, in several years. And there's a guest evangelist filled with the Holy Spirit at this small inner city Phoenix church. And he said, there's someone here tonight running from God with a broken heart, your family's been through trauma, and you're fighting addiction. The moment he said that, my son in the back row fell onto the ground, and he shook violently for almost an hour. By the time he got up, he was completely set free from alcohol and cocaine. Just like that. Come on, that really happened. You can come to Phoenix and see him sitting next to me on Sunday mornings. Our executive pastor also owns a business. So everything God told me he would be, he became. When I put God's word in my lips and I started praying that instead of the problem, amen, God never shows us how bad something is to overwhelm us. He shows us how bad it is to then show us how good he's going to make it. And if you don't add the second part to it, you become a doom and gloomer. You become a person... Oh, America's going to hell in a handbasket, blah, 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 blah. No, America's about to have the greatest awakening it's ever had. We're right there. Or it's time. So God's doing something. There's a couple more ideas about this. So seven times the prophet said to his, his helper, go look. So he prays and he looks. Now, now here's the idea. Someone said, pa- pastor said it. Expectation, I said this in 19, I think, 80. 89, expectation is the birthing ground of the miraculous. If you're not expecting what you're praying for, you're not praying in faith. So the Bible says, ask, seek, and knock. (laughs) Come on, man. That growing expectation, that growing faith says this, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. He kept looking. Don't Stop 
looking for what you've been praying for. Don't stop. Nothing for six times. Six times he went and looked. There's no clouds. There's no visible, tangible evidence of change. And the seventh time he looked and there was a cloud the size of a fist, a man's hand. And Elijah said, that's it. Don't miss big breakthroughs because they happen. They begin with small beginnings. Well, I thought revival, a little, what's God, a little, little college in Kentucky. That's revival. Yeah, baby. That's a, yeah. Don't, don't miss the big thing because it's in a manger and not a throne. Come on. Don't misdiagnose what God's doing because it comes in a different form than what we thought it come, how God do it. So he prays and then he, he, he there's a cloud arising and he, he said to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. So he said this, if you don't prepare for it, instead of blessing you, it, it will confound you. If, if you don't move with it, really ahead of it. Okay. And, 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 and it happened, verse 45, in the meantime, the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. So everybody say heavy rain. So we've not seen since the 60s and 70s a heavy, saturating national rain. But we're, 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 it's, it's beginning. So in this heavy rain, God wants us to move our chariots and to make sure we're positioned to, 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 to make the best of it, to participate with it, to capture the fullness of its intent and its purpose. Amen? It, it, it's like when, when, when Mary and I had our fourth, by the time we had our fourth baby, we were like professionals, you know. And, and we're, it, so my, I, my, my family's divided into two halves. My first two kids were raised when we were poor. My last two when we weren't. So my first two are, really have an attitude toward the other two. You don't know what it was like back, back in the day. We had, no, we, we had no health insurance. Dad just slapped his hand on me and said, be healed. That was 1 Peter 2.24. That was... That was Wait, I can't afford insurance. You can't be sick. Ah, be healed. So by the time we had our fourth child, Christina, we had our room. We had a room with her big name. We had her whole room ready before she was even born because we anticipated her birth. What would it be like if the church says to this great harvest of souls, we've been waiting for you. We've been anticipating you. We've been preparing for you. The last idea is this, then in the next verse. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he girded up his loins back then. Of course, these long, these long skirts or these long robes. He pulled up his robe. And then what did he do? He ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He outran chariots. I could have titled this today, Outrunning Chariots. Here's the idea. When God starts moving, 
he releases this, this thing called divine acceleration. And it allows things to happen faster than they normally would. So just watch what God's going to do. How, watch the speed. It, it, it's remarkable. God moves one place now because of media. The whole world can see it and capture it and, and catch the contagion of it. Just like that. So, so he outran. Amos 9.13 says this. That the, that the plowman will overtake the reaper, the tread of grapes, him that sows seed. Agrarian language. He said this. The normal cycles between planting, watering, weeding, cultivating, and reaping are going to be shortened. You're going to throw the seed in, the crop's going to come up. The message Bible says, things are going to happen so fast your head's going to spin. One thing fast on the heels of the other. Blessings everywhere you look. So fast. That's why I wear, someone gave me some new tennis shoes for my birthday. And apparently these are cool shoes. Because whenever a brother tells you you got cool shoes, you got cool shoes. I am not hip, but I have lots of hip friends. And, and you got to change your shoes to match the moment. Because this is not a dress-up moment. This is a run moment. This is a get ready to run. And, and, and God's going to renew your strength so you can keep pace of, with what he's doing. See, God snaps his fingers and he makes up for in 10 weeks what you've lost in 10 years. Mary and I know what it's like, you know. We, 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 God gave us a miracle church. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary in April. Hey, Bill Johnson is coming to, to be our guest for that. It's a special day for us. But it really is a miracle church because we lost so much in that same region. Then 15 years ago, God gave us a $40 million building for free. All the, everything I lost came back just like that. See, there's a day circled on the calendar. Your job is just to get there. Now, in America, we've entered into it. We've entered into a season of heavy rain. Lord, thank you for what you're doing at Church 1132. Thank you for the amazing leaders, the amazing members of this church. We give you all the praise, all the glory is yours. Lord, I pray for any weariness, exhaustion, discouragement, disappointment to be lifted out of the heart of your people. 